Alrighty, okay. It's been five seconds now. <laughs> wow. Okay, this is it. Our uh, first podcast together. Um, do we introduce it? Do yeah. you say the name? Oh, so this is Badass Women in History. I'm Karis. I'm Kaylee. Um, we met... <laughs> 2015. Bulldog Welcome Week. 20 years ago. 2015, when I was at Karis's freshman orientation leader at our college. Um, So that's great. And And now look at us. And now look at us. (laughs) Yeah. Was that like a drunk text when you were like, hey, you want to do this No, I was in class. I was literally (laughs) in my night class, like, looking for anything else to do. And I was like, Kaylee. (laughs) Yeah, so one day, like, in, when was that? Late April? Yeah, I think so. She just texted me and was like, hey, you want to start a podcast? Um, No, it's July. Because you're... (laughs) cool and I'm looking for a cool person to start a podcast with and I was like wow okay yeah I know nothing about that but <laughs> I will try so yeah the badass woman throughout history the yeah. title your idea which kicks butt yeah so basically we're going to be each week bringing another uh, a cool badass woman from any time in history up to present day really uh, and talking about them and yeah, feminism and cool women doing cool shit. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about badass women throughout history. Um, but we'll also, since we only have like 10, 15 minutes on each woman, we're gonna encourage our listeners, whoever they may be, to really like do your own research. Like if um, a woman we're talking about like really sounds cool to you and really sparks your interest like we really encourage you to do your own research um, with that we uh, um, want you to think about other women in your life that inspire you and we'll talk about current events and feminism um, we'll have like present day badass women just like normal and like women yeah home home hometown badass hometown badass women um we'll have like guest nominations um but yeah bottom line though that like even though we're like two white kids (laughs) (laughs) hashtag um, white yeah two white kids in uh minnesota talking about uh feminism this podcast really is intersectional and safe and here for everybody minus like uh swerfs and turfs so (laughs) no sex worker trans exclusionary feminists here um and (laughs) we'll use content and trigger warnings when necessary but i mean we're gonna think keep things fairly light because just the really ultimate goal here is we're just gonna learn and get feedback and hopefully people will be interested in that Yeah. yeah So we figure we'll start with just some quick current events. Yeah. So like kind of what's going on and I guess anything that really involves women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the theme of our podcast is women. So um, we each brought uh, a current event that kind of really caught our eye within the past week or so, I suppose. So do you want to go with yours first? Because I didn't look too much into yours. I wanted you to tell me about it. Oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so I looked into this, like, big, crazy, like, debate that's supposed to be happening with uh, 
Chelsea Handler and uh, Tommy Laren, um, <laughs> which has uh, basically, be- like, it got kind of, like, reframed as more of, like, an interview now. It was, like, called a debate, and they were kind of, like... Duking it out. <laughs> you, that's what I thought it was going to kind of be. It was going to be... So it's going to be at um, this Politicon. It's, like, a political convention that's going to be happening at the end of the month. Um, but now they've kind of, like, restructured, like, the narrative and the media in terms of this, and now it's going to be an interview. But, I mean, <laughs> honestly, I feel like it's something that no one ever really thought that they were going to need in their life, like, <laughs> at all. Um, it's just me, but I'm, uh, pretty skeptical of this interview. I... So, do you know how this started? Like, how this came about, or... I... Don't. I think they, it was just, like, proposed. Yeah. I mean, Chelsea Handler, she's just kind of out there. And, like, uh, I yeah. assume no, that they, like, literally were, like, tweeting each other. Because <laughs> then, once it got published, Tommy Laren was like, let's do this, like, on oh her God. Twitter. So, and then I, like, searched for it on Twitter, and there's, like, so many, like, random people, like, just, like, talking about this. Like, it's gonna be some, like, big, crazy thing, which I'm skeptical that it's gonna be, like, this, um, thing, because bottom line, it's, like, just gonna be for, like, entertainment's sake. Yeah, well, and it's not like anybody's gonna learn anything. Like, right. The, like, <laughs> I was really excited for the Tommy Lair and Trevor Noah debate, mm-hmm. and Trevor Noah was making bomb-ass points, and she was just, like, whatever. Just not having it. Yeah, so, they, yeah, I'm really skeptical of the interview, and I know that Chelsea Handler is, like, pretty conscious of her, like, privilege as a wealthy white woman, but... I mean, I really don't think that she's going to get anywhere with Tommy, and I have a hard time believing that, like... Tommy's gonna convince her of anything. <laughs> yeah, and I don't really know how, like, far beyond the scope of, like, white feminism Chelsea Handler goes. Yeah, I um, really know too much. Yeah, I mean, growing up, like, when I was at my kindergarten level of, uh, feminism, I was really into Chelsea Handler, and I really liked her growing up, but... I'm kind of becoming a little more conscious now, and so I'm still kind of skeptical of her. Yeah. Um, and I don't really know how meaningful Chelsea's words will be, because bottom line, like, she is a comedian and she's an entertainer. Yeah. Um, but, like like you said earlier, so, like, with Trevor Noah, that interview with him, I was super stoked for that, and then you just really, like, didn't get anywhere. I assume that, like... I mean, when I watched it, after I watched it, I was like, yeah, Trevor Noah, like, that (laughs) rocks. But really, like, what even happened in that interview? Like, we, it's not like Tommy learned anything. Maybe, like, she's, like, this is just all an act for her still. God, I would hope. I don't know. Um, But bottom line, I mean, I really do think Chelsea Handler is, like, a comedian, and I'm hoping that the interview will be insightful, but... I think it's just going to get framed as, like, entertainment for the political convention's sake, and which is, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also really just, like, a problem because Tommy Lahren needed to be canceled, like, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and just, like, giving her, like, that resurgence is just, like, unnecessary. Yeah. 
don't know. So. I I will watch it. But <laughs> I will be like watch watching it with like yeah. I don't know, probably not the night of. Like maybe yeah. I'll revisit it later. It's not something that I'm like marking my calendar about. <laughs> I'll catch the highlights on whatever later. <laughs> yeah. I'll make bullet points for you. <laughs> I'll just text you oh, thank you. a summary. <laughs> So then my uh, current event is something that made me fume the other morning when I heard it on the radio because I heard it, I literally heard it on the radio at 630 in the morning and I was like, what? Did you hear it on the current? No, I heard it on Mix 108. <laughs> 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 oh, like, oh sh- shit. Okay. Yeah. So mine is the Black China Rob Kardashian revenge porn. <laughs> so it's so bad i heard this and i just got really 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 pissed um so supposedly i guess black china cheated on rob whatever and he was pissed about it you know whatever rob cool. kardashian looks like warm coleslaw <laughs> <laughs> whatever be pissed but what rob decided to do then was post Por- por- pornographic Porn. immig- images that Black China, I guess, had sent to him, and she posted them on Instagram. And luckily, that shit well, got he shut po- down. Yeah, he posted them, and his like Instagram got shut down. Like, like his Instagram account, you can't. Yeah, see. it's gone. So then he went to Twitter and posted them on Twitter mm-hmm. and tweeted like, "Oh, peek, peek these pictures." Like Instagram shut me down, but they're on here now. Which just shows me, like, it wasn't, like, an in-the-moment in thing either. Yeah. Because he he was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to go post him somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And my problem with this as well is, like, it's not, like, specifically because Black China is African-American. And because of her, you know, her, her the nature of her, she's not, she's very open about yeah. her sexuality, which, like, more power to her. Yes. People are like, whatever, like, she, you know, she puts herself out there, blah, blah, blah. And it's like- People mm- viewed her as, like, a gold digger, like, coming into the Kardashian family. Yeah. And, like, even if, like, that was her main, even if it was her main objective, like- Nobody well, and like, deserves to have revenge porn posted. Well, no, like she gave him those pictures, like in confidence mm-hmm. when they were together, and you don't get to you don't get to post them online. Even if she's posted anything even remotely similar to that, mm-hmm. she did that herself. That was her own choice. Yeah. You don't get to like you don't get to post that shit without their permission and without like in a revenge way. No, it's it's a it's a form form of violence. It's oh yeah, no, it's awful and illegal. Oh, illegal. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. But like, also just morally wrong, especially for the mother of your children. Yeah, your child. Like, I mean, their daughter dream is just a baby. But like, I can't even imagine like doing that to someone who you had a child with. Yeah, and even like her. I mean, Black China, I'm not even just saying that because, like, oh, she's a good woman because she's, like, a mom and you would never do that to yeah. your No, you shouldn't mom, do this like, to, like, anybody. Anybody. Ever. ever. But did you want to read the tweet that you had? Yeah. Oh, okay. I found this really good tweet. Um, And it says, I found a thread and basically it just wanna... said, um, 
It's at at O B A A underscore B O N I. However says, you want to. Yeah, Robert Kardashian's abuse, participation, and revenge porn is obscured by the fact that Black China is not viewed as a woman worth protecting, and I think that really like that hits the nail on the head. Really, definitely, like it. This, our society doesn't care when women are being violated. It just cares when uh, men's future property or investment is harmed. Because, well, like, Robert Kardashian, he, like, he talks about how, like, he bought her all this stuff. Like, it's like he justifies, like, posting yeah. this shit because he's like, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on her. It's like she still like, doesn't owe you anything. No. Like, that was your gift. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's this, it's the exact same thing as, like, as well, just, oh, like, well, if she was wearing that, then she should have expected. Yeah. I know. X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh, well, if she posted pictures in a similar nature before. Yeah. Well, and she, like, so she did send him, like, a video, like, of her making out with, like, another man to, like, apparently taunt him but even in that case yeah it's shady but like it's also just like deal with your shit like not on the internet like no be a fucking adult work it out the kardashians are like a whole another level of them like just being garbage and appropriating black Culture. culture and taking like all these black fashion designers credit for shit and that it's just a, a hot mess express. But hopefully shit gets sorted out um, with Black China getting represented by Lisa Bloom, who's, like, won cases with revenge porn before, like, with Misha Barton. So hopefully that shit gets all sorted out. But yeah. I don't know. That's <laughs> so bad. Yeah. So. All right. Well, do you want to take a quick break and then we'll come right back? Yeah, definitely. Alrighty. are back we're back awesome well dude i'm really excited to hear who you uh chose yeah so my very first badass woman in history is amelia Earhart. because oh, i'm nice. obsessed as of recently <laughs> for some reason with some conspiracy <laughs> yeah i like watched a conspiracy video but then i was also like we don't talk about amelia Earhart enough <laughs> so and I'll talk about, like, the recent, just because I'm into it, the recent, like, stuff that's come out in the news and, like, literally, like, the past two days about her as well. Awesome. So, yeah, let's go. So, Amelia Earhart was an American aviation pioneer and the first female pilot to fly solo across the Atlantic. She, uh, her awards include the Distinguished Flying Cross for the Atlantic Journey. She was an author who wrote many books and she helped create the 99s, an organization for female pilots. She was an advisor at Purdue for Aeronautical Engineering and Career Counseling to female students. She was also a member of the National Women's Party and an early supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment. Obviously. So she was born July 24th, 1897 in Atchison, Kansas as Amelia Mary Earhart 
and she disappeared at the age of 39 on July 2nd, 1937, and then two, day, two years later, she was declared dead on January 5th, 1939. By two years, they just, like... I think after two uh, years, they were just, like, just like, she's, she's not coming dead. back. <laughs> she, she did. She did. I like, think that, I, that vine where the girl's, like, Miss Keisha! Miss <laughs> Keisha! Oh, my fucking God, she fucking dead. <laughs> oh, where it's, like, the doll. <laughs> I think, well, I think as well, they figured, like, if she, like, got stranded or whatever, even if she had been stranded, like, it was over. Yeah. So, she was born, uh, again, 1867. No. Give me a sec. 1897. 1897. Um, and she was born to Samuel Edwin Stanton Earhart and Amelia Amy, uh, Earhart. And she lived with her maternal grandfather, um... Alfred Gideon Otis um and she had one sister who was called Grace Muriel Earhart but she actually uh was nicknamed Pidge 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 and then um Amelia was Mealy or Millie um and they were like they were pretty close from what I gather um apparently both girls continued to answer to their childhood nicknames well into adulthood and uh, when she got older, I like Millie. I like Millie. Uh, when she got older, Grace Muriel Earhart just went by Muriel, okay. which cool. Um, and it's their upbringing uh, is said to have been unconventional uh, because Amy Earhart did not believe in molding children into nice little girls, which I think is a really weird phrase. <laughs> um, and their maternal grandmother disapproved of the bloomers worn by Amelia and Muriel. Um, because so her parent, her mom was a feminist, probably. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. Um, and the other girls in the neighborhood didn't wear bloomers; they wore skirts or whatever. Oh shit! So apparently, Amelia just really liked playing outside when she was growing up. She was into rough and tumble play, um, and she made a roller coaster in her backyard. Secured the ramp to the roof of the tool shed. Like she like broke. Th- bones and got bloody (laughs) lips and all kinds of stuff what a bad and apparently she like jumped off the the roof of the tool shed on a sled and yelled oh pidge it's just like flying which seems convenient but whatever we'll go with it so sweet (laughs) so um they moved a lot as children um because her dad kept transferring um jobs and all kinds of stuff like that um, and at one point they were in Minnesota as well. And then when she was in high school, apparently Amelia decided, um, they had moved back with her mother and she was just like, fuck it. I'm going to choose where I go to school. So she toured all of the schools in like their area and chose the one that she thought had the best science program. My girl! <laughs> yeah! Because the one that she was supposed to go to had, like, she was like, their chemistry lab is just a kitchen sink. <laughs> <laughs> I did that when I toured a college. Uh, That's why I didn't go there. <laughs> um, but, this, yeah, so the school she chose was Hyde Park High School. Apparently, she didn't actually really like it there. She didn't have any friends. And then the yearbook caption of her picture is A.E., the girl in brown who walks alone. Oh, I was like, what? Oh, no. But she graduated from there. like a goth in the (laughs) early 1900s? Oh, my God. The girl in brown walks alone. Emo girl. (laughs) But she graduated from there in 1916, and she wanted a career. 
She kept scrapbooking about newspaper newspaper clippings about successful women in predominantly male-oriented fields, including film, uh, law, advertising, and mechanical engineering. And she started junior college at Ogots in Pennsylvania, but she didn't complete her program. And then in Christmas 1917, she visited um, Pidge in Toronto, uh, and World War I had been raging, and Earhart saw, like, the uh, returning soldiers in Toronto. So she ended up training as a nurse's aide from the Red Cross, and she just started working at the voluntary aid detachment at uh, Spadina Military Hospital. And she was making food for patients with special diets and handing out prescriptions, etc., and then in 1918, with the Spanish flu epidemic, she mm-hmm. uh, was in Toronto. She became, began nursing for them at the Spadina Military Hospital. And then she became a patient herself. So she actually got pneumonia and mac- maxillary si- sinus- sinusitis. Sinusitis. <laughs> sinusitis. Yeah. Uh, and then she was hospitalized for pneumonia. And then the sinusitis, like, actually kind of just messed with her the rest of her life. Um, apparently even when she was flying, she would have to have, like, a drainage tube in her nostril and stuff. Yeah. Um, and she had, like, really bad headaches a lot of the time as well, which, um, messed with her the rest of her life. So then she, uh, visited the Canadian National Exposition in Toronto, and there was a flying exhibition, and it there was a, a male, uh, pilot that was flying around, and her, Earhart and her friend were hanging out, and he dived at them with the plane as a joke to like he was apparently he wanted to see them run away which is a dick move (laughs) and he was like he was apparently he was like i'll like watch me make them scamper is that like how you flirt i don't know (laughs) and apparently he like dove the plane at them and amelia just like fucking stood there and was (laughs) like come at me bro Amazing. Um, and she said, I did not understand at the time, but I believe that little red airplane said something to me as it swished by. She wrote many books. It's all very... Oh, it's in a book? Yeah. It's not just like her. <laughs> yeah, it's not just... Like... So, um, she, in 1919, uh, was gonna go to Smith College, but she ended up going to Columbia, uh, in a course of, uh, for medical studies. And then she left a year later to be with her parents in California. And then in 1920, she visited an airfield. um, And she actually got to ride in a plane with uh, Frank Hawks. And she was quoted, I knew I had to fly after that 10-minute flight, uh, which cost apparently $10, which was a lot, I would think, so in 1920. So Frank Cox is, like, a famous Yeah, pilot. he was, uh, he later gained fame as an air racer. Oh, wow, okay. Um, she decided that she wanted to fly, and so she actually, um, worked a bunch of jobs. She was a truck driver, photographer, stenographer, um, etc., and she, um, raised a thousand dollars for flying lessons. And I think her mom pitched in a little bit too for that. And she pretty much just showed up to the aviation school and was like, teach me how to fly. Um, her teacher was Anita Netta Snook, a pioneer female aviator who used a surplus Curtis JN4 Canuck for training. Yeah, and she had a singular request, I want to fly, will you teach me? So then her grandmother died in the 1920s and she got an inheritance, um, which I think she helped use with uh, buying planes. 
So she bought, uh, she sold Canary, her plane, and bought a Yellow Kissel Speedster two-passenger automobile, which she named Yellow Peril. And then she had a little bit more sinus problems. And then her big feat, obviously, was the transatlantic flight in 1928. So Charles Lindbergh was the first person to do it ever in 1927. And then Amy Guest expressed interest in being the first woman to fly or be flown across the Atlantic Ocean, but she decided the trip was too perilous. Uh, so she offered to sponsor the project to find a girl with the right image. So Amelia Earhart got a phone call and they were like, you want to do this? And she was like, cool. Oh. So she got all ready to do that. She got a rousing welcome when she landed in Woolston in Southampton, England. And she drove, or she flew the Avro Avian uh, owned by Lady Mary Heath, uh, and she'd purchased the aircraft and had it shipped back to the U.S. So that was a really big deal. She was um, not the first person to do it, but the first woman to do it, slash the first woman to be in a plane as it was done as well. Um, so then she uh, was promote. She promoted aviation. She was uh, a competitive flyer. She um, where did I put my notes? She was a career counselor for female students at Purdue, where she was also an advisor um, for aeronautical engineering. Um, and again, helped create the 99, uh, which was the Organization for Female Pirates. Or Pirates? <laughs> Pilots! Amazing! Oh. Um, <laughs> so... I'm so sorry. So she did, when she did the first, when she did the transatlantic flight, she didn't do it solo. I don't think she did her solo flight in 1932, um, which is when she, she did that. Uh, and then she did it a lot of additional solo flights. Uh, she was the first aviator period to fly solo to, from Honolulu, Hawaii to Oakland, California. Uh, many people had tried it, but it didn't always, it didn't work out for them. Uh, she, one of her, her um, uh, planes was Old Bessie the Fire Horse, which she flew from L.A. to Mexico City. Uh, and then she was greeted... Oh, that one was uneventful because um, she ended up having to stop in, in Newark. Did, and what then, does it say? Was she just, like, having more sinus problems or what? Um, I'm not sure. She, it just... There were large crowds. Oh, her flight was uneventful. Oh, her flight was uneventful. Sorry, she did complete that. Her flight was uneventful, although the large crowds that greeted her were a concern because she had to be careful not to taxi into them. Oh! So, nice. she was pretty popular. Can you imagine, like, yeah, just, like, doing something? Like, that's just your job? Yeah. And you're just, like... I mean, I guess back then, like, flying was a big, crazy, cool thing. But just, yeah. like, when you were flying, like, people would gather to just, like, see you see land you. your airplane. <laughs> They're just like Amelia Earhart, like, fandoms. <laughs> oh my god. So then, of course, she wanted to do the world flight in 1937, which um, was not what I originally thought it was, which I thought they were just going to try to fly the whole world. <laughs> no, they had, like, stops planned along the way. Um, for, like, gas. For, like, or... gas and, like resting obviously mm -hmm. and eating and stuff like that but like it was still long stretches mm -hmm. of um not resting or not really getting to eat or whatever um but she did have a co-pilot for that but it in march 17 1937 was her first attempt at the uh world flight 
um, and they had problems with the propeller hubs and uh, problems with that. So then the second attempt, um, she found the funds for it and she was flying west to east. And it began with an unpublicized flight from Oakland to Miami. And after arriving there, she announced her plans to circumnavigate the globe. The flight's opposite direction was partly the result of changes in global wind and weather patterns. Uh, and then on this second flight, Fred Newton was Earhart's only crew member. They departed on June 1st, and after numerous stops in South America, Africa, and the Indian subcontinent and Southeast Asia, they arrived at New Guinea on June 29th, 1937. And um, at that stage, 22,000 miles of the journey had been completed, and there were only 7,000 miles to go just over the Pacific. So, like, they were... <laughs> They were so pretty close to being done. Close. So then they left New Guinea on June, July 2nd, 1937 uh, at midnight. They left. Their intended destination was Howland Island, a flat sliver of land, 6,500 6, feet long and 1,600 feet wide. So it's tiny. And their last known position report was near... New <laughs> Nukamanu, uh, the Nukamanu Islands, about 800 miles into the flight. Um, they, through a series of misunderstandings on errors, the final approach using radio navigation was not successful. Fred Noonan had earlier written reports about the pro uh, problems affecting the accuracy of the radio direction and finding navigation. Um, basically, they were talking to the, um, talking to the ground, and I think... They could hear them, but they weren't getting the messages back. There was something oh. weird with their radio. Sabotage. <laughs> no, I don't think there was sabotage. Shit happens in, like, the 1930s, or just, yeah. like, technology. So, um... Or... At 6.14, another call was received stating the aircraft was within 200 miles and requested that the ship use its direct and finder to find a bearing for the aircraft. Earhart began whistling into the microphone to provide a continual signal for them to home, home in on. And then the, um, Leo Bellarts later commented that he was sitting there sweating blood because they couldn't do a darn thing about it. A similar call asking for bearing was received at 6.45 a.m. when Earhart estimated they were 100 miles out. So they're calling them and they're like, hey, we're coming, please, like, make sure you're ready for us, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're getting them but they can't transmit back to them for some reason at 742 Earhart radioed we must be on you but cannot see you but gas is running low have been unable to reach you by radio we're at 1000 feet um like in the air her 758's transmission said that she couldn't hear the Atasca and asked them to send voice signals so she could try to take a radio bearing um they still couldn't send the frequency that she needed, and Morse code signals were sent instead. Earhart acknowledged these, but she wasn't able to determine their direction. And then the last known transmission was at 8.43 a.m. Earhart broadcast, we're on the line, 157337. We will repeat this message. We will repeat this on 6, six to 10 kilocycles wait. And then a few minutes later, she was back on the same frequency with a transmission that was logged as questionable. And then she wasn't heard from again. Um, they didn't know where the plane was. They couldn't contact her and she stopped transmitting. Yeah. And she, she said they were low on gas. So 
search efforts began. Uh, obviously, they never found them. Um, I don't even think for a long time they found anything. that They never found the plane, obviously. Couldn't find anything that belonged to them. Would kind of, I guess, assumed that they would have just gone down in the water. Um, there was one theory that they were able to land on this one island because supposedly at one point they found um, some debris on this island, some clothing, and then like a jar, which everybody thought was her freckle cream or something. They were like, that's her favorite freckle cream. Amazing. And then, of course, the big thing that's come out recently is supposedly they found this picture um, that they think that she's in. <laughs> um, so yeah, so did I, did I show you this to you yet? I, uh, yeah, I think, I think I saw it somewhere else. Okay, so they found this picture that they think she's in. And, oh, well, another theory as well is that she landed somewhere and all of these locals were like, no, she definitely landed here. They definitely took her away and she was held hostage by whatever government for whatever period of time. And then they killed her um, or whatever. Yikes. Like they tried to use her for information and either she didn't have any, obviously, because she was just like doing this or something. So that's the picture. That's what they think is her. Which like. Literally just like. Obviously she's a white woman. A white, <laughs> Among yeah. obviously not white people. I just don't know if that means that it's her. I want to believe it so badly. Um, it's now been 80 years since she vanished. I'm trying to be the first female pilot to fly around the world. Yeah. And uh, like, well, and that's the original picture the too. Marshall Islands. Yeah. The Marshall Islands. Yeah. So and apparently the locals said that, no, it was definitely her that was there and nobody really listened to them. I want to believe it so badly. Well, there, and there's a picture of her before they left. Okay. And the Marshall Islands are between Hawaii and the Philippines. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's Amelia Earhart. And I just don't think that we talk about her enough. Because she did some really cool things. She really delved into, like, a man's, what was considered, like, a man's job and a man's mm -hmm. world. And she was like, nope, I'm going to fly and I'm going to be the first female to do this. And then I'm also going to be the first person, point blank, to do this. Yeah. So... Oh, that do you think do you so think, cool do you think um for for the her solo flights where she was the first person period to do that the the next guy that did it got first man to <laughs> or is that just not acknowledgeable <laughs> yeah i really don't know i don't know that that would be kind of funny because you always hear like first man yeah. then first women yeah woman a few years later yeah yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know. I feel like, yeah, we only talk about, like, Amelia Earhart, like, the, um, her death, and we don't talk enough about, like, all of her cool, um, accomplishments, like, when she was alive. There was a, um, a movie, wasn't yeah. there? And it had Julia Roberts. Yeah. I always, whenever it, I- It looks like it's bad. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Whenever I think of Amelia Earhart, I think of the um, Night at the Museum movie, whichever one of the three oh, that she's in, and it's played by yeah. Amy Adams, mm -hmm. and I just like love, I love, Amy I love Amy Adams, I love Amelia Earhart, it was lovely, I love that. Yeah, I definitely think it's cool to talk more about like the cool things that she did like during her lifetime. 
And um, she didn't start flying until she was older, too. Older, yeah, like which she, is cool in itself. Well, and she, you know, she was living during World War One, so she was, she just kind of like was like, cool, yep, I'll be a nurse, and was taking care of people. Got sick, didn't let that stop her. Still went to college, um, and just decided, yeah, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna save up money and learn to fly. And obviously, wasn't too bad at it either. Like, yeah, she. Yeah, the, honestly, I like other than the transatlantic flight, I didn't really know anything about her besides like, oh, she's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's cool to yeah. hear more about her. Certified badass. Yeah. Yeah, super super cool. All right. Okay. So oh, my person. Okay. So. Last week was the 25th anniversary of uh, Marsha P. Johnson's death, and that's the main reason why I chose her for my first badass woman to talk about on this podcast. Which is a big, like, a big person to choose as, like, first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and... Like, you, you were just like, let's go. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I, I have put some work into this because she is someone very, very, very special and um yet you don't really hear all that much about her unless you like really do some digging um but she's such an inspiring figure and so i uh am really gonna try to do her do some justice Justice. with this (laughs) um but i do encourage uh uh, all of our uh, what three listeners to check her out on your own too you think we'll have three <laughs> <laughs> three yeah i like being really hopeful oh my gosh um so to check her out on your own so i'm gonna do my best to do some justice in the time i have but i'll probably find some links and uh refer you to other good uh, websites and documentaries too just because like so, I didn't know who Marsha P. Johnson was until probably, like, two years ago when I kind of graduated from uh, kindergartner-level feminism <laughs> and actually, like, started figuring shit out. So, um, alright, so Marsha P. Johnson was a black, trans, female drag queen, sex worker, and an advocate for trans people, AIDS awareness, and especially poor trans youth. So, she basically is referred to as the Rosa Parks of the LGBT movement. And this was during the 1960s through her death in 1992 in New York. Okay. So, she was born Malcolm Michaels on August 27th, 1945. She says that she liked to wear dresses when she was young, but she stopped. And in her late teens, she told her mom she was gay and was basically disowned. Um, she worked at a restaurant to support herself because she wanted to be the biggest drag queen in the world. So this is when she was, like, our age. So Mm -hmm. she's, like, 20 here. Cool. Um, she wanted to be the biggest drag queen in the world, but she didn't really have money for serious drag because that shit's expensive. (laughs) Um, so basically, like, her most well-known looks is, uh, like, thrift store dresses and outfits, but she always has, like, really bright, colorful makeup on and, like, these beautiful, like, flowers all, um, pinned around her head and her hair and everything so if you've seen pictures of her like usually the first couple pictures you see she just has like flowers all around her head yeah i think that's like Um, the like the main picture that i mm -hmm. always think of she's just got a huge flower crown on yeah um so 
She hustled in the streets of New York City and New Jersey to make ends meet while she was working at that restaurant in her late teens, early 20s. But um, by 1966, she um, was living on the streets. So she was like 21. She's living on the streets. Okay, so um, the Stonewall Bar, it was um, kind of like a safe haven for LGBT people, um, basically because it was illegal for... Um, queer trans people to like party, yeah, basically to like exist, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so they started allowing women and drag queens to come because it usually just was for like uh, gay men. Let's say they started allowing women and drag queens to come, so she like started to frequent it, and so she was at the forefront of the Stonewall riots, which happened. June 28th at, like, 1 in the morning through July 1st in 1969. So, I'll touch on the Stonewall riots quickly, but honestly, like, I really urge everyone to look more into this pivotal moment in the gay rights movement on your own, because there's, like, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, well, and it's not really covered, like... <laughs> it's it's not covered, yeah, like, people, people don't know about it, so you should really check it out, because, like, I mean... I feel like it's such, like, a trendy thing to, like, go to Pride yeah, with all of your, like, straight buddies in the cities and get, like, plastered and just, like, kind of, like, watch. Like, people watch, basically. Yeah. But, like, that's, one, shitty. Yeah. Like, you should only go for support with, for your, like, uh, LGBT friends um, if you are straight, like, you don't get a special badge just to, like, be an ally. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, there wouldn't be, like, really pride parades to this day if, like, Stonewall didn't happen. Yeah. It wasn't, like, the start of the gay rights movement, but it was, like, a very impactful. Pivotal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, back to this. So, the 60s were a really dangerous place for queer and trans people, meaning, like, Oh, well, present-day America still is. Yeah. But looking back, any relations were illegal. Like, police could arrest you if your clothing didn't match your assigned sex, etc. Some really Fuck. scary shit. Yeah. So there were LGBT bars, but laws actually prohibited liquor sales to queer people because they what? were deemed too rowdy of partiers when alcohol was involved. Right? I know. So, a lot of the gay bars were, like, the safe places um, for, like, LGBT people. So, they would party there. Um, but they were subject to the to a bunch of raids by the police really, really regularly. Just because, like, the police knew that they were LGBT bars. So, they know, knew that they could make, like, easy bust. Yeah. Um, but the bars were actually usually owned by the mafia. Oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> the bars were usually owned by the mafia, and so the mafia obviously, like, has cops on their payroll, right? Yeah. So, like, the cops would let the mafia know, like, hey, um, we're planning on raiding you. Yeah. This night. And this was very common for, like, all the other, like, um, gay bars throughout the city, because... The mafia, like, the bars that they had really, like, targeted disenfranchised people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, but the thing is, 
when the mafia would find out about a raid, they would, like, they're the ones who, like, worked at the bar, and mm-hmm. they would tell, like, everybody, like, hey, this is gonna happen, we're not gonna do any, like, crazy shit tonight. Yeah. But, so, like, when the police raided Stonewall at one in the morning on June 28th, nobody knew. Like, there was oh. not any warning. Um, and so, like, hundreds of people, people were there drinking and partying, and the police just busted in, started lining people up, um... They started arresting people just for who they were dancing with. Oh, my God. For drinking. If their biological sex didn't match their clothing. So, like, with that, it it means, like, a female police officer would take, like, all the female presenting people in the bar and take them to the bathroom and make them, like, prove their biological sex. Why? Why? Right? Why? Um, Why does it? <laughs> it's very, very bad. So the police would take the people into the bathroom, make them show them their genitals. Um, and so if, like, the gender that they were presenting as didn't match what was yeah. under their clothes, they would get arrested. Yeah. Um, they would even get arrested if they, like, refused to show their ID. Oh, my God. Um, and male cops were, like, getting super handsy with all the lesbians in the bar. Just really, really an awful thing. So, as the police are, like, lining everyone up and arresting them, lesbian woman is assaulted by the police because she's, like, complaining about how her handcuffs are too tight. And nobody really knows, like, who this lesbian woman, um, was. A couple people have said, like, yo, it's me, but... Yeah. They haven't for sure been able to do that. Some people are even like, yo, it was Marsha. And Marsha's like, no. (laughs) Um, so this lesbian woman... She, her handcuffs are too tight, and she's like, can you loosen my handcuffs? Well, she gets hit in the head by the police on, by a baton. So, like, yeah. she gets hit in the head with a baton, and then after she's hit in the head with a baton, she yells, why don't you guys do something? And all, like, the people are out there, like, people have come and they're, like, watching. Obviously, there's, like, hundreds of patrons in the... Um, bar. So as they like hear this woman say, why don't you guys do something? She's like heaved into the back of the police van, just like chucked back there. And so then after she said that, the violence started. So like basically now all these people are just like throwing bottles, like lighting shit on fire, throwing pennies, like anything that they can throw at the police they're doing it because, like, so all these street people are here, all these crew people, everyone just kind of had, like, this collective feeling that they were just, like, fuck it. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> I have had enough, like, I cannot take this anymore, which is, uh, I can't even imagine just, like, the exhaustion and yeah. how just pissed off they are. So, for days, the riots continued with thousands of people showing up to participate and Marsha P. Johnson showed up just, like, a few hours after, like, their uh, riots ensued. Um, and she's one of the main people who escalated the uprising. Some people say that she's the one that started it, but no. She's like, nope, when I got there, it was already happening. Yeah. Um, so, backing up a little bit, during this time, a lot of, like, white gay cis men dominated the scene. And so a lot of times, like, trans people and drag queens were not included in marches and the like. Because they were um, thought to, like, give the movement a bad name. So then, back to Stonewall, another drag queen named Sylvia Rivera was there when it started. So her and Marsha were friends. And so Marsha shows up and her and Sylvia were, like, really getting into the riots and stuff. Um, 
So, after the Stonewall, everything wrapped up after a couple days. Um, everything's dying down a little bit. So, research this more on your own, obviously. <laughs> um, Stonewall got, got honored as a monument by uh, Barack Obama and oh, all I this stuff. That. That but was a big deal. Yeah, so that's a big thing. Um, but focusing more on Marsha P. Johnson, she and Sylvia Rivera... They're friends, like I said. And so in 1971, they started the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries Organization, abbreviated STAR. Um, Rivera changed to Street Transgender Action Revolutionaries years later, because, like, back in the 60s and 70s, 80s, like, that's the term that was used. Mm -hmm. They've used, like, transvestite, transsexual, transgender, all that. Um... So, they established STAR, and STAR is a really big deal because it's founded by two trans women of color. Back to what I said earlier, like, this was a time where a lot of, like, white gay men were just, like... Running the show. Yeah, running the show, um, and, yeah, so, basically, yeah, white gay men just thought, like, trans people were... Even, like, lesbians just kind of thought that, like, trans people and drag queens were, like, tacky and, like, rowdy and giving them a bad name. Mm -hmm. So this is, like, a really big deal that Star was founded. And so they established, um, like, an actual house for Star now, their organization. And they mostly targeted LGBT youth um, and street people, specifically, like, uh, trans people of color, and they funded it with their sex work. So they, like, uh, Sylvia and Marsha, like, funded feeding these people and clothing these people by their sex work and, like, street hustling. That's super cool. So, because, so, like, um, they, so Sylvia Rivera talks about this in the interview and she says, like, Star was for the street gay people, the street homeless people, and anybody that needed help at that time. Marsha and I had always sneaked people into our hotel room, so we decided to get a building. Mm -hmm. um, and they mostly tried to do that because they wanted to get away from the mafia's control at the bars. Yeah. And they still wanted to have a safe space. So, like, even though they were street people and homeless, they could still, like, afford to get hotel rooms. So, like, it's documented that sometimes they would have, like, 50 people in a hotel room oh and stuff. God. So Marsha and Sylvia were just like, well, like, let's, let's get a place get a for everyone. Yeah. yeah. So they did that, and that's, like, a huge deal, and even though, like, um, the Star House was really short-lived, that model for a place for homeless youth, specifically LGBT homeless youth, like, lives on to this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a really big deal. Um, and then some more info about Marsha. So she was photographed by Andy Warhol in 1975. Um, and even though she did later identify as transgender, like, she was a drag queen first and foremost, and that's how she got, um, taken, like, photographed by Andy Warhol because, like, his series at the time was on drag queens. Yeah. So, a lot of present-day famous drag queens often acknowledge Johnson as, like, the original, like, drag mother. So, and then, going off of that, Marsha did sometimes respond to her birth name, Malcolm, and sometimes, like, acted differently as Malcolm. Like, it was, yeah. like, an alternative uh, personality. Um, and when she kind of was, like, responding to Malcolm, she was usually, like, more aggressive and would have to, like, be hospitalized and, like, sedated. Mm -hmm. um, she dealt with her fair share of mental health issues, but... Um, she did later identify as transgender, but regardless, it just really speaks volumes for the fact that, like, gender is fluid and people have the right to identify how they want yeah. without being judged. So, she was also HIV positive 
and was a marshal for an organization called ACT UP in the 80s. So, like, keep in mind, in the 80s, AIDS was killing tens of thousands of people. And um, the administration during that time, everybody's uh, golden boy, uh, Ronnie Reagan, was basically doing nothing. Yeah. So ACT UP, where their motto was silence equals death, was a really, like, powerful organization during this time. And Marsha's presence made it even greater. Um, and then, unfortunately, in 1992, her body was found floating in the Hudson River. Oh, my God. Yeah. She had been reported missing for six days. And the death was originally ruled a suicide, but, like, Marsha's friends insisted that even though she dealt with mental health issues, she wasn't suicidal. And she even had a massive head wound when she was found. So 20 years later, the police finally opened the case back up as a possible homicide. Okay, well, all your evidence is fucking gone. But, like, looking back, it's clearly obvious that there was foul play involved, especially when you look at the facts concerning murder and assault rates on trans women of color, like, even in present-day America. Like, it's so obvious. Um, So... In conclusion, Marsha P. Johnson just, like, did these really amazing things for transgender liberation, and yeah, today there's still a lot of work to be done, and it's really important to remember that, like, revolutions are rarely peaceful, and protests are important even when they inconvenience people in power and privilege, and the fact that current trans people still have to prove their existence and humanity basically every day, like, yeah, I can't even imagine how exhausting that must be. So, um, in conclusion, I really hope that I did Marsha P. Johnson some sort of justice within (laughs) this past however many minutes, but she's someone who I really admire, and if anyone listening thinks I could have done a better job, please hit me up with suggestions and feedback, because I would totally love to revisit uh, Marsha again in a later episode, just because there's so much. Yeah. If you're looking for more info on her, I... uh, put together a little list of like some uh videos so there's like a happy birthday marcia like short and it documents marcia's life hours before the uh stonewall riots and the short film is super cool because marcia's like portrayed by a trans actress oh which cool. shouldn't seem like such a cool thing but like that's something that unfortunately yeah, like, like never happens in hollywood and suck that we're like wow wow that's awesome this, yeah that, that should sucks. just be normal it like, should be totally it normal be notable um and then there's a documentary out called pay it no mind the life and times of marshall p johnson um oh i forgot to add so like the p stands for pay it no mind like in oh, her name okay. like when people would ask her what the p stands for and she'd just be like Pay it no mind. I love that. And she, like, snap at him. And sometimes, like, a judge, she did that to a judge once, and he, like, let her off because he, like, liked the sass. I love it. (laughs) She'd also kind of say that in terms of, like, when people would be like, what's really your gender? And she'd just say, pay it it no no mind. mind. Right? So that's super cool. So there's that documentary, Pay It No Mind, The Life and Times of Marsha P. Johnson. That came out a couple years ago. And then most recently, and this is what really, like, sparked my... Um, interest and got me like researching her more and more because Netflix just bought the rights to a documentary about her um, just like a month or two ago and that's called The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson Um, and so that'll launch later this year. That's really cool. I'm excited for that one. Yeah. I'm really Um, excited. Wasn't there I'm googling it right now. There was like a movie about the Stonewall riots. I yeah. feel like that came out a couple years ago, but it was like a problem. 
Yeah. Was it was it just Stonewall? Because I I feel like um. Yeah. It showed just like a normal white guy starting it or something, and it was like nope. Yeah. It. It didn't even have, like, it didn't have any of the actual characters. Like, they were just, like, people inspired by the characters of Stonewall. Yeah. It was, like, a reenactment, but, like, yeah, without... Like, that's the guy that yeah. starts in it. It's, like, Mr. Jeremy Irvine. Mr. Like, Mr. White Bread. Like... <laughs> yeah. They didn't, like, they, they have a character for, like, Marsha, but it's not, it's not her. Like, it's just, like, inspired. That makes me mad. Yeah, so... Yeah, these are mostly just white boys. Yeah, that was a huge problem with that movie. That makes movie. Joey King is Phoebe Winters. Yeah, and that... Oh, nice! Oh, she she's... was uh, Ramona Quimby in uh, Ramona and Beezus. Like... <laughs> yeah, so Credit, that movie include. just like... Pfft. No, I really suggest checking out all these movies about Marsha P. Johnson, because yeah. she rocks, and... Super, super inspiring, and it's just so shitty that she is yeah. basically a statistic for trans women of color who get murdered in America. Yeah. I don't want to say, like, fairly regularly, but, like, I mean, Un- way too often. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, do you want to plug our social media? Oh, yeah! So... What am I? I don't even know my social. Oh, I do. Okay, so my Twitter is going to be at Charismatics, C-A-R-Y-S-M-A-T-I-C-S. Um, and so is my Instagram. And then what are you? Do I want to use my business Twitter or my... Wait, do I follow your real Twitter? Or do I only follow your... <sighs> your? Okay, I'll plug both because this is a funny story. Okay, so I ha- my one Twitter I have is at straight with an eight outta o u t t a flake straight out of flake. That's like my personal Twitter where I swear sometimes, <laughs> and then my business Twitter for that's linked to like my full name. Um, I don't even think I follow that one. <laughs> um, it's linked to my full name. And it's for, like, if employers search me, it's, uh, at Kaylee R. Krogstad. It's like you're, you're fitter and you're... Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, it's like the opposite of a Finsta, basically. You're fitter, oh my god. Yeah, so definitely, if you have any suggestions... Hit us up, tweet us. Tweet um, me. Um, mail, mail us. E- email, don't email us. Don't, well, don't mail me. I'm not giving you my address. Oh my god. And then what's email your... me at my official UMD email. <laughs> that is the official beads of communication at oh UMD. <laughs> and then what's your Insta, too? Oh, my Insta is at underscore Kaylee Crogston. Cool, cool. All right. Awesome. Well, this has been Badass Women in History, and we will talk to you next week. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a hell of a ride. Bye. And hey, just a quick uh, reminder that if you have somebody you would like to send in as your uh, badass woman from your life, uh, please tweet either of us. Yeah, that would be awesome. We'd love to hear from you. And then we can feature it on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Bye.